0: Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen.
1: So, by the show of hands, uh, who's got some junk in their trunk? Go ahead, raise your hand. Who's got some... uh, some unresolved or issues in your subconscious, yep, go ahead, get them up how much is how much is left to process in your subconscious? Now, that's not a raise your hand thing, but maybe I could ask uh what emotions? are the most prominent influence in your day-to-day life that, that you're not aware of. Wait, what? Okay, I'm gonna raise my hand because I had, I had emotions running my life and I couldn't even um, identify them. In other words, I had I had a huge amount of anger in my subconscious, off the radar, totally not aware of it. Had you asked me to fill out a questionnaire, and I asked the same question, what emotions are influencing your life that you're not aware of, there's no way in hell I would have wrote down anger because I had no relationship with anger. But yet I was anger's bitch. All throughout my day, anger was decisive in the vast majority of my choices. And I had no clue. I had no clue that I had a lot of anger and that my my ego was scared to death of anger. And then I go and and uh, start up my life and I'm working and I get married and I have kids and I got some junk in my trunk, you know? Still totally off the radar. There's no way in hell that I was free. Just in my own personal cocoon, there's no way in hell I was free if if i had a prominent aspect of my persona that was a dominant element in my day-to-day choices and all of that was happening off the radar silly me i mean how could i how could i even comprehend the notion of being free it's um uh, it's a curious thing i've worked uh many decades on myself and i don't pretend to think that i've i've come around the band <laughs> certainly life gets easier but um i try to stay open to the notion that i just might have some more junk in my trunk and i don't want to let go of that i don't know what to call it uh self-awareness humility or whatever i owe it to myself to stay Open to discover deeper aspects of myself. Hey, I want to thank y'all for joining us tonight, and a big kudos to India. We've got a big uptick in listeners in India. I hope you enjoyed the 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 show with Shy. That was a great episode. Tonight, our topic is detox yourself. And say goodbye to your toxic relationships. And I'm so delighted to have TJ Woodward as our guest tonight. Detox, detox yourself and say goodbye to your toxic relationships. Who has toxicity in their relationship? Go ahead, show your hands yeah uh, i could so who has do you reckon you might have toxic attributes that you're not aware of is that is that a reasonable question i think we should get into it because uh tj has some really solid experience here and and let's get him on the show Again, the topic tonight is detox yourself and say goodbye to your toxic relationships. TJ is gonna discuss his book, Conscious Recovery, A Fresh Perspective on Addiction. According to TJ, toxicity starts within. We create our lives based on the perception that arise from the core false beliefs we hold about ourselves. We cannot change others, ah, damn it. (laughs) But we can change ourselves. Look within. Is there a core belief in you that you hold that is false, some inner toxicity that needs healing? TJ Woodward is a revolutionary recovery expert best-selling author, inspirational speaker, educator, and addiction treatment specialist who has helped countless people through his simple yet powerful teachings. TJ enlightens and entertains audiences around the world utilizing his captive and authentic style. He assists people in literally changing the way they exist through his informative and dynamic talks and training. He is also the creator of the Conscious Recovery Method, which is a groundbreaking and effective approach to viewing and treating addiction. You can learn more about TJ at TJWoodward.com join me in welcoming T.J. to the show. Welcome to the show, T.J.
0: Thank you so much, Les. I am delighted to be here, and I look forward to taking a deep dive with you into this conversation.
1: Let's do it. So <laughs> so, so <laughs> the, the notion of, of toxic relationships, I mean, how many times do we uh, – uh, go through a a tough breakup or something and and it it's so easy to point the finger at the other person. Uh they have this problem, they have that problem and then perhaps click forward two or three more relationships and you know, have you ever heard somebody said, you know, my last three relationships, even though they were different people, they all ended up by them cheating on me or they ended up, you know, lying to me or they ended up, I mean, how do we go about in understanding what's going on inside of us that creates repetitive patterns outside of us?
0: Well, I think there are a couple of important things to share to start the conversation. Just like you said, In our culture today, most people, when they talk about toxic relationships, they tend to talk about what's toxic in the other person. And so it's really popular now in our culture to say, we need to remove toxicity from our lives, we need to get rid of toxic partners, toxic work environments. And although that is understandable, the issue with it is, as you said, we want to look deeper into ourselves and ask ourselves, Does this toxicity start within me and is that therefore informing the choices that I'm making? And I want to be clear, we're not talking about shifting from blaming someone else to blaming ourselves. We're looking at shifting from blame to accountability. What happens is people will say, well, this person is toxic, so I'm going to remove them from my life. And then, you know, the breakup happens or they leave the work environment and then they find a new relationship and this time it's going to be different. And then, you know, three months, six months into it, they're like, wow, it's starting to feel just like the other ones. And that is because uh, there is something within us that is wanting to be
1: healed. Nice. So what if there's a, a pregnant pause, so to speak? between relationships. So you just go through a breakup and it was a toxic thing and uh, thank God I'm out of that. And if indeed there are these uh, internal mechanisms, these internal tendencies, it almost seems like uh, within the relationship, is an opportunity to see ourselves in a light that we might not be able to create ourselves. In, a, in other words, you were saying three months, six months or so into it, then comes this rise of of uh, the repetitive pattern that wasn't obvious in the beginning. How do we go about flushing that kind of stuff out of our psyche?
0: Well, I think we start with, you know as you said recognizing the repetitive nature of our relationships usually people start taking a look inside when things fall apart on the outside right so it's a divorce it's a bankruptcy it's loss of a job and then they go into an introspect, more introspective experience of what's happened what we want to look at is the patterns and how these patterns have been repetitive in our life and how we have made similar choices and then start to ask ourselves What within me is wanting or needing to heal so that I can have a different choice for myself? Um, When we look at it from the unconscious and the conscious level, most of it's happening in the unconscious. All that means is we are carrying around core false beliefs or points of view about ourselves and the world. And those points of view are what are creating what we call reality. Sometimes people are aware of them and sometimes we're not. And it's not necessarily a thought that we have about ourselves in the world only. It's also a vibration or a frequency. So if we're walking around with a core false belief that we're not lovable, we're literally vibrating at that frequency. We walk into a room and we unconsciously find the person to confirm the core false belief, no matter how much we work we do in the conscious level that's why this work is a deeper dive as we've said
1: boy i like that it it's uh it uh, it's a fascinating thing how we uh connect with people <laughs> it kind of makes me chuckle i mean uh, if i have these subconscious mechanisms and and i'm inherently or uh, through the mechanics of the physics of consciousness am attracted to somebody else who has subconscious uh, mechanisms and and we pair up that way it's it's uh it's almost like a game show where you don't know what's behind the door until you you know you buy into it and click off a few months as you said and and then later in the relationship, it starts showing up. So how do we get, I mean, how do we set up these mechanisms, of these belief systems with within us? Is that something um, we're born with or do our family, does our family of origin dynamics imprint that or a little of both or? Well, in my
0: experience, we actually come into the world as a blank canvas. Now, this has been debated for many, many years, right, nature or nurture. Do we come in with a genetic code or we come in, some people even believe at a soul level, we come in with agreements that we've made for this life? I think we come into the world as whole and perfect spiritual beings. As a starting point, that's how we come in. Now, for some people, they'll say, well, what do you mean whole and perfect? What I'm saying is essentially there's a place within each of us that came into the world, and then we become programmed by the world. And usually by unconscious people passing down generational trauma. So it happens in our family. It happens in our churches and synagogues. It happens in our schools. And we get programmed to believe uh, that we're broken or damaged or limited in some way. And as i said most of this isn't conscious this isn't about blaming our first grade teacher for what they did this is about realizing that these events that in some ways might seem insignificant to some people might be a major moment where we made a huge this dis- decision about ourselves i remember when i was in kindergarten i decided i was stupid because i couldn't tie my shoes now as an adult I look at that and I think well that's um, very insignificant right it's of course I'm not stupid because I couldn't tie my shoes but as a five-year old I literally decided at a very deep level that there was something wrong with me and that I wasn't smart enough and I remember walking home from school that day reciting to myself I'm so stupid I'm so stupid and I think about the preciousness of a five-year-old and how sad it is that I made such a big decision so it's not necessarily what happens as much as it is what we decided about ourselves and the world based on what happened.
1: Wow. It, something about the, uh, the context of the child mind that can't put something in context. I mean, there's no – you don't even get context to put it in until later. And and yet, like you said, it can be such a decisive um, experience for us. It's, uh, well, how do we, I mean, how can we recognize or even um, break it down into generalizations of, of lack of self-worth or, um, can't be trusted, or something. Uh, these these imprints in our in our child experience. Is there a way to see these these themes that were established as children within our own psyche without bumping up against something to trigger us?
0: Well, I think it's slightly different for everyone many people are walking around and completely unaware that they have these core false beliefs where other people are very aware that they have this narrative that keeps them feeling stuck right so i've worked with many people and some people will say oh yeah i'm very aware that i've walked around for many many years feeling not good enough then someone else might say i don't know what you're talking about i don't have any core false beliefs i have the perfect childhood right So we look at, as we already said, we look at sort of the repetitive nature of our relationships. And then we might start to ask ourselves, in times of difficulty or in times of great pain, are we aware of the messages that we're telling ourselves? And then we can look at where it originated. Because as we've established, when we were young, our brains aren't even fully developed. So it's not really a cognitive process because we decided at such a young age, and these decisions or ideas about ourselves get very, very deep within ourselves, and so we don't really get to just talk ourselves out of it. We need to go back and really integrate from the time that we made these decisions, and it's actually possible to go in and reparent ourselves, allow our inner child to feel that which we weren't able to feel before, come to some different conclusions about ourselves and then shift the trajectory of our lives.
1: Nice. I like that. Well, if, if we can be imprinted as a child, um, perhaps very quickly with a single episode or so, um, fast forward into the realm of being an adult, it seems like um, we have, um, perhaps more baggage or more um, narrative going on in our psyche. How do um, how does it look like to to recognize? Okay, uh, so I do have um, a beliefs of lack of self worth. That takes a process to turn around, doesn't it? I mean, even though it might have been instilled in a flashing moment, um, to unravel it as an adult, does that? Does the mechanics of that unraveling uh, follow a timeline, or um, it it would seem like it would take some un- unraveling, so to speak, to do that? Yeah,
0: yeah, I think. For many people, it can take a long time, and in my experience, it takes longer if we're thinking that it's only a mental process. So, in other words, if we think, I'm now aware of these beliefs that I've been carrying around for many years, I'm aware of how they've affected me, I see the repetitive nature of them showing up in my relationships, uh, whether they're professional, personal, intimate relationships, I see the pattern And I'm aware of the thought that's underlying it. Now I'm going to change that narrative or I'm going to have a new story or I'm going to talk myself out of these beliefs. And I think if we're approaching it that way, it can take a long time. Uh, If we're able to realize that the work that we do is really in the unconscious or the subconscious, and it's really about healing these core false beliefs where they originated it can happen instantly. It doesn't mean you know we have an experience. we go back and we do this inner child work, and then we're free from them forever. but it does mean we can have a significant and instantaneous shift. Another way to say it simply is it can take a lifetime a lifetime that it can happen in an instant.
1: Nice, I like that well, so say I go to a weekend seminar and and it's fantastic and the guru on the stage uh, makes everyone feel wonderful, and and then you go home and you know a few days a week, two weeks later, that that new narrative hasn't anchored in your psyche. It, what I'm looking at here is if if I've clicked off a decade or two with these. Uh, false narratives about myself and then uh, I recognize it and and have an aha moment, I can imagine a flip side narrative where I do have um, just the opposite beliefs about myself. They would exist much more prominently in my thoughts, in my processes, in my demeanor throughout the day Even though I have a breakthrough, I I have to release or discharge all the incongruent thoughts and kind of fill in the void, so to speak, with the new narrative. Is there like an activity or a process where I give my opportunity, give myself an opportunity to see myself in this new dynamic? I mean, would it help to to anchor or build or establish the new narrative um, into my um, natural demeanor?
0: Well, I think it, it happens on so many levels, right? Um, one framework that I really like to use is That we're like a house with four rooms. Physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. I really like acronyms, so it's pies, and we have these different pieces of a pie within us, if you will, and it happens on all these levels. Um, We're understanding now through neuroplasticity that we actually can change our brain, and usually science says we change and create new neural pathways in our brain through new behavior, and that is true because that's in the physical and the mental, right? I have new thoughts. I have new behaviors. I create new habits, and there's no denying that. Right. And we, you know, science shows us that it takes 21 days to change thoughts and 90 days to change habits. There's a lot of different, you know, numbers out there, what people say. But what I'm talking about here is in addition to that, we want to get into the emotional and the spiritual. And from that place, and, and in my experience, it's a deeper transformation that happens when we live in those rooms, when we actually go back to the origin the memory of what it was like when we made these big decisions, because again, our brains weren't even developed. So it's not just about changing the narrative or having new behavior. Those things are useful, but we want to pause, we want to go within, we want to get in touch with the when all of these ideas and this energy originated and how can we actually go back and heal it. For example, a very young child, what I like to call a pre-programmed human, so around two or three years of age, feels their feelings very deeply. We know, if we've been around toddlers, and we know they will let you know exactly how they're feeling. If we allow them to have the emotional experience, those feelings move through them, and then, then they go back to their natural state, which is joy. Sometimes people give me some pushback on saying our natural state is joy, but that's what I have observed. So these feelings have been locked for decades for many of us. And when we go in and actually unlock them, we don't really talk ourselves into a different narrative, and we don't even necessarily focus on changing the behavior. We go back, we allow ourselves to feel that which we couldn't feel before, and in some way, from that deeper point of view and from that deeper perspective, we have a psychic shift that is way beyond just what's happening in the physical and in the
1: mental. Nice. Well, uh, we were talking before the show started about our parents and uh, I've shared on the show before my father being a, a war vet of the Pacific campaign in World War II and long before I was even born, I'm the last of seven kids. Um, he he had his his psyche really uh, impelled with horror and and all manner of atrocity for a year and a half, and then fast forward comes home, meets my mom, they get married, and and what I'm getting at is. His demeanor, um, I'm, I can only speculate, but he, he went in, I would think that he went into a survival mode that is hard to imagine, really, in uh, entering the, the battlefield for the first time and really not getting any chance to process it at all at any significant level until a year and a half later when he's discharged from the, the military. And then and then me as a young boy growing up with him as my dad, how the hell could he show me how to deal with things when his psyche was such a tempest of upheaval? We were talking before the show that our, our parents really didn't have uh the tools or perhaps the understanding of, of what had happened to them and yet if we if we turn around and and look at our parents it if we if we look at our parents as as far as their own demeanor their own um stigmas their own toxicity, can that give us some insight about what we might? look at within ourselves that might be so habitual that it's not as obvious as it could be?
0: Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you're speaking to something that, you know, again, is multi-layered. One, having compassion for our parents as adults, right? I mean, I remember early in my life at my 20s let's say I very much blamed my parents and thought you know they just weren't loving enough they weren't there for me they weren't available and I could point to all the evidence that that was true. But with some time and some of my own deeper work, I started to have compassion for them being so young. I mean, my parents, by the time they were 25, had three children. By the time I was 25, I was just learning how to pay my rent. I mean, I was not at all, you know, in a place where um, I could care for three other humans. And at the same time, that doesn't mean we pretend like what happened didn't affect us. And then what right. you're talking about, too, is this intergenerational trauma. And, you know, I grew I was born in 1965, so my father was born in 1941, I believe, 41. And, you know, his generation was certainly not taught to have feelings or to focus on feelings. You know, the messaging that he received was, you know, men are supposed to be strong and brave and breadwinners and, like, we're not going to do this emotional thing, right? So, right. you know, I, I can understand through his programming that he really wasn't as emotionally available because that, he, that wasn't even in his consciousness, nor was it really in the culture at that time. So, you know, we're evolving and we're changing. So that the nuanced conversation is, yes, of course, it's not about blaming him. Yes, it's about having compassion for how young he was. Yes, it's about having compassion for the deep programs that he received, being a man in, you know, that era, you know, growing up in the World War World War II era, and at the same time, not minimizing the effect or the experience that I had, you know, as a child growing up with parents who received their programming and consciously or unconsciously passed them along to me.
1: Right. Well, the you talk about compassion you know perhaps uh we wake up one morning and we're in our i'm just making this up we're in our third relationship and we're past the honeymoon period and and now this person's starting to get on my nerves i'm talking about the spouse or whatever significant other and uh and it can be easy to to kind of point fingers at somebody else's behavior but um compassion compassion if you could bring compassion into that perception of a person that's behaving in a much less than flattering way should we say i mean that can it can seem a little uh, letting your guard down or a little risky. How, how can compassion come into play in our, in our daily lives when we bump up against struggles with uh, significant people in our lives?
0: Well, I think what compassion can do is it can shift us out of blaming someone Um, compassion doesn't mean that we pretend like what happened didn't happen nor do we pretend like it didn't affect us you know if you look at a severe situation like someone who has experienced sexual trauma we're not saying I'm gonna have compassion for the person therefore it was okay they did it or let's minimize the impact that that had what we are saying is through compassion for people in our lives who have caused us harm, we can shift out of blaming them. And through that, we actually empower ourselves. Sometimes this is a very tricky conversation for people when (laughs) we say something like having compassion for someone who abused us because we've been programmed to believe that means, oh, what they did is okay. We're so deeply in good and bad and right and wrong that to say we can have compassion for someone so that we can stop blaming them so that we can be free and actually take our power back can be really foreign for some people. So sometimes we have to really be careful about how we talk about it.
1: Nice. Well, you know, the idea of blaming others and then perhaps taking responsibility for ourselves. um, I had a person in my life that was three things. He was, um malicious belittling i i mean i could possibly even use the word evil but he was also my angel in that this very disturbed man this very bitter man who was my boss for a decade belittled me and just treated me terrible every day for 10 years and that put me on a couch and ultimately that's what cracked me open and what i'm getting at here is if it wasn't for him pushing me against my own psyche i i never it never would have come into my conscious space and then um as i released an immense amount of anger out of my psyche a very very curious thing happened i kind of fell off his radar i um it was almost like magically quietly very subtly when i when i uh uh healed i don't want to say that in a complete sense but when i healed my re- relationship with anger, and I changed my demeanor, he just lost interest in me. It was almost like he would seek out people that had a trigger with anger. And I guess what I'm getting at here is, is it realistic to say we should take a hundred percent responsibility for everything that happens in our life and blame no one, but only look at ourselves? Well,
0: if we want to be free, right? And it's a very <laughs> tricky conversation because what 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 I'm not saying is what someone does is okay. I, I know I keep right. repeating that. And the reason I keep repeating it is sometimes when people hear us talk this way, they say, well, but wait a minute. Right. What this person did was horrific. And what we're not saying is it wasn't horrific. What we are saying is when we unplug from that and do the deeper inner healing, as you said so eloquently, the relationship starts to shift because, as we talked about before, the frequencies and the vibration have to be congruent in order for that relationship to stay alive. Another way to say it is if I'm in a power struggle with someone, I'm in a power struggle with someone. And yet we tend to say this other person's in a power struggle with me, right? This other person is being abusive. This other person is being belittling. Whatever we're saying, that there's something at a vibrational level that is causing me to continue to say yes to that. Again, we don't want to blame ourselves. We want to be accountable and we want to take our power back and say, I'm going to heal what's underneath all of this. And as you said, then these relationships seem to start magically shifting and healing. Sometimes the relationships walk away and that is the healing, right? So, you know, I'm not saying if someone is abusing a person that they should just unplug from that situation, do their own healing work, and then stay in the abusive relationship
1: many right. times
0: the answer is leave but that's actually where the work begins that's not where the work ends
1: right well and you know um i want to reinforce what you're saying that our our society has um boundaries you can't go around and beat the crap out of people and and that's not okay i mean we have laws for that and not to let the other person off the hook, so to speak, um, but the, you know, the, the notion of road rage comes up. A lot of times when when you're talking to somebody and you're sitting at the cafe and they're not triggered and they're happy and they're jovial and they're whatnot, and then you go get in the car and they're driving along and some somewhat of a trivial thing happens – and their head splits open, and T. Rex comes <laughs> pouring out, and they and and they totally shift their demeanor uh, if they're not aware of 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 that. Um, I mean, how do you how do you create the space? I guess I would say to to look at with perhaps. Uh, Uh, new eyes um, behaviors or traits within yourself in other words if we if we label something as bad and that it it shouldn't happen and yet it's unresolved in our psyche how do we work through it without letting it out so to speak i mean we you have to go there somewhat and to be able to process that don't you
0: well, yeah, and, you know, road rage is such a perfect example of what happens when we're not actually present with ourselves in our bodies and feeling our emotions, because it's just buried there and buried there. And, you know, of course, the analogy is like, you know, the steam that is building up and then, you know, it's going to come out as an explosion. A couple of things I'll say about that, you know, if you haven't seen the show Beef. The show Beef is centered around these two characters, and it opens with this road rage situation that escalates, and it so beautifully demonstrates, although you know it's, it's considered a dark comedy, I will say that, that <laughs> it demonstrates what happens when you are, have not resolved your trauma, when you are continuing to bury that trauma, and there are these two people in this show that on the surface, it's like they come from very, very different lives, very different lifestyles, different socioeconomic statuses, et cetera. But they both have this deeply unresolved trauma that is showing up as road rage, and it takes you on quite a journey. Um, and actually, in you know, in my area, which is I would consider to be a very, very safe area of um, LA and Marina del Rey, There was actually someone killed um, a few days ago, only two miles from where I live, in a road rage incident. They came off the freeway under Marina Del Rey and someone shot the other driver. So this is a very real thing that's happening. And we look at the mass shootings that are happening and we end up talking about gun control, which of course is important, but that's all the symptom of it. And so if we look at anger, um, when someone has what we describe as an issue with anger, we send them to anger management, right? You need to learn how to manage your anger. But what I invite is rather than saying to someone you need to manage your anger, we want to be curious about what the anger is managing. And it's a completely different way of looking at it. If we start to heal, and I know we we keep using this term heal, when we return to our wholeness, when we allow ourselves to actually feel we move through that and then we are not exploding and you know we see this on social media it's very very heightened now and you know perfectly lovely people you know they get on twitter and wow
1: (laughs) (laughs) well you know the so uh, i've heard that anger is often a secondary emotion so uh say uh, you're a department head and nobody takes you serious. And every time you have a department head meeting, everybody talks over you and, and um, you can't get your ideas out. And so I'm just making this up. So you go home and you work on yourself and it's like, well, you know what? I'm going to stand up for myself. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do it this time. And you go back in the, managers meeting and and you start talking about your ideas and somebody cuts you off and pretty soon the conversation's gone and there was your chance and you get mad but but the anger isn't per se about um, the anger itself it's it's what happen that in other words, there's a primary feeling that's behind the anger. Is that what you're getting at?
0: Yeah, I mean, the way I frame it uh, is that anger is actually a strategy more than it is an emotion. I mean, of course, we can say I feel angry, but you know, it's kind of a different way of saying but the same idea that it's a secondary or a response to an emotion more than actually the primary emotion. So we always want to be curious what's under it you know i how many times have we told someone if you feel angry count to 10 but what are you going to do in those 10 seconds that's what's important not so much about counting to 10 it's to be aware of what we're actually experiencing and most people who have anger as an ongoing strategy and I, i use that language consciously They usually developed it very early in life. Um, I have worked with many people who say anger kept me alive when I was a child. So the anger itself is not a bad or a negative thing. And then everyone says you shouldn't be so angry. And then I come in and say, wow, anger is a wonderful thing. It kept you alive. Let's talk about that. Look at all the ways that it has served you. Look at the ways that it has kept you feeling safe. Then start asking In what ways is it no longer serving you? And when we can look at it that way without judgment and look at what's working and what isn't, then we can ask the deeper question, which is what do you truly desire? And most humans, when we get down to it, under all the layers, it's usually something like we want love and connection. And when we get in touch with the deepest desire of what it is to be a human being, the deepest need, the deepest desire for each of us, we can ask ourselves, are these strategies serving us? So it's not anger is bad or wrong. It is, is it getting you who you truly desire to be? Is it bringing you closer to the person you want to be? And is it actually fulfilling the needs you have as a spiritual being?
1: Nice. Nice. I like that. Well, if we were to shift our... Um, conversation to um, perhaps the media or social media and ourselves I mean we're kind of metaphorically talking about the elephants in the room the the big ticket items, so to speak in our psyche (laughs) and and a lot of times um, we can have more subtler um, triggers that might be triggered more often throughout our day and still keep us in a reactive pattern. If we're if we have a, a subtler trigger on a subtler topic, but we're constantly in reaction, that can be as dysfunctional as an elephant in the room. How can we use the the chatter uh, of of the media and social media to kind of query ourselves about what trigger mechanisms we have at any level within ourselves.
0: Well, I love this and it's one of my favorite conversations because when we talk about triggers, which of course is also very popular now in our culture, we tend to talk about triggers in the external, just like we talked about toxic relationships. That person triggered me. That political party triggered me. That, that race group triggered me. We talk about it as if it's something outside of ourselves. I actually don't use the word trigger. I use the word activation. It is activating some kind of wound within me. So Don Miguel Ruiz says it very eloquently, it's not your words that hurt me, it's that you've touched an unhealed wound. And I take it one step further and say it's being touched because it's wanting to heal. So as long as we're in the that person just triggered me, which only naturally follows with they shouldn't be doing that, um, then when we shift from that to saying what just got touched what is wanting to heal within me we can actually have a little space between the 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 behavior or the event and what is getting touched and we find ourselves pausing and not reacting when we're able to realize that something just got touched rather than someone just touched that and that in itself right there if each of us would pause at this moment and start to do that we would be living in a completely different planet on a completely different planet because the greatest freedom we can ever experience is freedom from the reactive impulse and that reactive impulse is coming out of what is unhealed within us and projected outward so when someone does something that touches these wounds it's much easier for me to say how dare they do that they shouldn't be doing that they are bad people it's much more convenient in some ways to blame someone else instead of saying wow I'm feeling scared I'm feeling hurt I'm noticing something that's being touched within me and again we go back to it doesn't mean that what someone is doing is right or wrong or good or bad it means when we unplug from that and start to look at what's getting touched that's the point of power that we can start to work on. Another way to say it is you know, I spent
1: many, many years
0: trying to change the world, and darn it, it just didn't work.
1: <laughs> there's not a big knob at the equator or something that we can turn and change the world. <laughs> damn, damn it, I was so looking forward to that to that trip <laughs> well then I, um there's got to be some um uh, i mean. If we do this self work and and when we get activated or triggered um and we we heal the the mechanism in us, and then I mean, how does our life change? I mean, uh, I don't know if this is a, a re- relevant, but if you were to look at yourself twenty years ago and today, i mean, for the audience, what's in it for me, so to speak? What's the what's the takeaways? What's the benefits? I mean, how does your life change as you work through these processes?
0: Well, as we said before, it's freedom right this freedom from being reactionary to the world and being curious about the world is dr- a dramatically different way of being and you know the greatest paradox is when i when i shifted from trying to change the world and looked at what wanted to be healed within me suddenly the world seemed to change and you know if we look at it more globally that's indeed the only way the world has ever really changed is through people actually doing the healing rather than the fighting. And I know that can be a controversial statement because people push back and say, well, come on, people have fought for their rights and they have gotten their rights because they fought for it. And there is truth to that. And what we're really pointing to here is when we do the deeper healing, we are no longer then the conditions of the world are no longer creating our experience of what we call reality or in other words, no one can actually make me feel anything. They can touch something within me that creates an emotion or that brings out an emotion. So the short answer, again, is freedom. I'm free, free from the reactive impulse, and I can start to live in curiosity rather than judgment, and life becomes expansive. And I find that, you know, sometimes – well, my, my friend, Dr. Sue Morder says it this way, life is difficult
1: and painful
0: until it's not.
1: Nice until it's not I would I would add to that um when you're if we were to just look at the averaging of our thoughts throughout the day and how what percentage uh greater than 50 percent perhaps where we're stuck in triggered or activated narratives and then we process that and we clear out our thinking um, in other words, the, the the percentage of the day that we would have been in a reactive mental construct or patterning becomes free. For me, I think the soul looks at our dynamic and goes, oh, oh, well, looky here. We've got some horsepower. We have some unspent horsepower. You could take up, you know, art or why don't you get a guitar and learn how to play? In other words, we can shift from kind of a, a healing recovery mode into this expansive, expressive, creative mode, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It creates so much more expansiveness and so much more possibility. And we know that now we're, we're aware and science is even measuring that, you know, shame and unresolved trauma actually causes disease in the body. And it keeps us feeling stuck. So as long as I'm in reactive mode, I'm stuck. When I am able to heal some of that, then I start to open up to larger possibilities for my life. And as my friend Michael Beckwood says, we break the agreements we've made with mediocrity. And I absolutely love that because as long as I'm in reaction to the world, I'm stuck. When I unplug from that, then life becomes I'm not going to say it's always easy, but it certainly is much simpler. And it actually can be much easy because the idea that we have to constantly struggle is is a point of view. And it's a point of view carried by the majority of humanity, but that doesn't mean we have to have that agreement.
1: Nice. Nice. Well, you know, an hour can go by pretty fast. I want to make sure that the audience knows about your books, plural, and, and tell share with us any modalities, if you have a physical center or, um, or if you do things online. Give us the whole picture of your, yourself.
0: Oh, thank you. Well, TJWoodward.com is the best place to go as sort of a place to see everything I've been up to. I do have three books, Conscious Being, Conscious Recovery, and Conscious Creation, as well as workbooks. Um, and online courses that are connected with those three books. Um, I, most, of my, most of my time now is devoted to doing interviews like this, which I love, and also doing clinical trainings uh, in, in uh, behavioral health and addiction treatment centers throughout the country, um, inviting clinicians to look at what gets created when we are looking at our clients or our patients as broken And what might get created if we were to start to look at them as having the ability to heal and that our job is to support them in that healing. So most of my time now is traveling around the country speaking and doing trainings, but I do have those resources, the book, books, and the online courses available for people as well.
1: Well, very nice. Uh, TJ, I want to thank you for joining us tonight as a guest. I very much have enjoyed this conversation.
0: Thank you so much. It's been an honor. I loved where this conversation went. We just never know where it's going to go and I
1: appreciate (laughs) you. Thanks. We've been talking to uh, T.J. Woodward and the topic tonight has been detox yourself and say goodbye to your toxic relationships. You know, to to take the time to work on yourself to take the time to be more conscious of uh who you are to to root out incongruencies within your psyche that changes the trajectory of the rest of your life and i know i know it can be hard certainly i can't um comprehend all the different ways that these last few years have impacted people. And I know a lot of people have, have struggled and really come up against some really tough stuff in their lives to process, but, um, you know, hang in there and, and set the intention of, of understanding what's happening and, and, understanding a uh, a deeper element of yourself uh, a lot of times it's it's through the proverbial storm that we have an opportunity to recognize incongruencies in ourselves for example if you just live by yourself and nobody pushes your buttons and everything's just fine and you're a trust fund baby chances are you're not you're not going to learn about that junk in your trunk the the subconscious mechanisms it's when we go out and we go out and we bump up against reality we bump up against the tyrant we bump up against the the difficulty that we get a deeper reflection a deeper comprehension of who we are and that affords us an opportunity to heal at a whole different level you know it's um sure you can say it's a challenging times certainly you can say that the norm is flown out the window sure your your ego mind can say, "I don't know how the future is going to unfold, and I have anxiety and worry and stress over that but in in that same mechanism the the challenge of the last few years, how many people now are are searching reaching uh reaching out for mechanisms, for understandings, for uh, deeper insights to the why of how they feel the way they feel. Uh, the, the root of this show is, is you, you, the human persona, the human psyche, the human genome, and, and your experience with your life. Your experience with your potential, both conscious and unconscious potential life's a wonderful thing when you can show up for it um, I'm, My life is uh I'm so excited I'm so excited I'm so excited for my future, and I have no idea what it's going to look like it I've come to trust that the wisdom of my heart and my soul are going to guide me because i choose to let go of the steering wheel metaphorically i choose to taught my teach taught my ego to not interfere when inspiration comes up when the impulse of my heart activates as i go throughout i mean just this morning i met i stopped by for breakfast, and I'm walking out the door, and I ended up talking to this guy. Holy cow! We talked for like a half an hour, and and I'm pretty sure it was my heart that said, "Hey, you know, go talk to him." And had I stayed in my head and just ran narrative, that probably wouldn't have happened. It. It's a curious thing when you can teach your ego to take a step back and kind of let go and allow the, the wisdom of your heart and your soul to move up front and, and grab the will, so to speak. What a fun episode. I really enjoyed tonight's episode. I'm, I'm glad you chose to join us. You've been listening to a new Human Living broadcast. I'm your host, Les Jensen. Let me ask you a question. How many times during today, this day, has your heart and soul had direct communication with you? Our egos, left unchecked, will easily consume all of our thoughts and consciousness as we go throughout the day, where we really are living an ego-led life. But our ego, cannot even comprehend the vision our soul has for us. If you want to increase your personal power, make space throughout your day for your heart and soul to inspire you. Citizen King, The New Age of Power is a book I wrote just for that. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. I appreciate it.